Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and maybe this week it should be the Manchester is in, is in Crisis a podcast. Uh, Samuel Luckhurst, Tyro Marshall, you were both at the Derby game at the weekend. Uh, Samuel, is that as bad as it gets for United this season? No, no, they, they got told 5-0 by Liverpool back in October. So I, I, I'd still say that was probably the seasonal nadir. Uh, and then also going into yesterday's game, I think most of the people in the press room, probably in the stands as well, in the home and away sections, suspected it would end the thrashing and, and, and did. Um, it didn't get quite pan out as expected. United performed pretty respectably in the first half. There, there were a lot of positives to take from that. And maybe they were a bit despondent that it ended with them 2-1 behind. But the, the second half was... It, it, that that was just shameful, really. Just it was a procession. It was like an exhibition match at times. The, the way it, the way it felt like was almost as if it was like a, a pupil at school during the interval of a test. That they during that break they they get the answers to all the questions. And in the second half, City had all the answers. They 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 worked out how to play United's formation. And the dominance was apparent even before Mahrez made it 3-1. It, it didn't feel like a contest at 2-1 in the second half. It, it just went that badly. And that drop-off in performance, I don't think even Rangnick could necessarily account for it afterwards in, in the press conference when he was asked about it. Um, he, he tried to just you know, highlight how brilliant City are at, at retaining possession, which they, they weren't good at in the first half. I thought United deprived them of that, that sustained control. But in the second half, it, it, it was just normal service had resumed and the chasm between the teams is, I'd say, it's still flattering on United, 22 points. They've, they've come full circle there as well, going back to the Moy season. They ended that season 22 points behind City. And to be honest, from, from our perspective, journalistically, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's difficult and challenging to write something original because you've seen it before. Um, City have wiped off United 4 one three one in recent years uh, they'll probably do it again um in, in, in the years to come as well because the dominance is is that is that patent and that there's a hell of a lot of work for united to do but everyone knew that before before yesterday's game and really there's not i know we can be pessimistic anyway but that's really, you know these podcasts are pessimistic because when it's it's not us being that's the way it goes with them and the way it has gone with us the last eight and a half years. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, you just you know about United and how much better City are. It wasn't an eye opener, it wasn't a reality reality check by any means, it was just normality resumed really. But time it is interesting what Sam said there because the first half United were good and individual errors cost them for both goals. You know, there was a chance United, you know, could have gone in level at the break, maybe even ahead if they hadn't been so sloppy at the back, you know, to, to begin with. I know in hindsight, it's easy to have a go at the tactics, maybe have a go at Ranjik or whatever, but United did play well in that first half. Yeah, they, they played pretty well. Um, I mean, they could also have gone in three or four, one down at half time. City did have some, some decent chances that they didn't take as well. Um, so, you know, they, they played, they played, they played pretty well, but I didn't think they were the better team. I know Maguire said in his interview after the match that he felt they should have been ahead at half-time. I, I don't really see how they were ever going to be ahead at half-time. They'd, they'd played fairly well. They'd made a contest of it, but I don't, I don't think they've necessarily been the better team. They'd attacked pretty well. The formation had, had worked fairly well. 
Um, they'd certainly got Sancho in the game. That looked a, an outlet for them down the left pretty constantly. Um, and, the, you know, there were positives in that first half. It felt, it certainly felt at halftime like the game was a contest and that there was still st- still some element of jeopardy. I mean, the you know, the chat and the pressure at halftime was kind of hmm, surprising. United have played quite well, but they were losing. It almost felt patronising mm-hmm. to United in a way that we're always patting my head going, oh, well done, guys, you had to go there. You're losing, but, you know, that was that was better than we expected. And I... And I'm not trying to be wise after the event here, but I said to a couple of people, they've played quite well and they're still going to lose for one. And it did still feel like City would just run away with it. Not to the extent of, I mean, that second time it was right, that second half is was shameful. Um, I would I would argue it was worse than Liverpool 5-0, just because, you know, that the Liverpool game ran away from them in the first half and they were poor. But in, it, at half-time yesterday, that game's on the line. United played like it was gone in the second half. It was one... one United Rainer said to me yesterday after the game, he said, I can live with them being rubbish, should we say. Um, that wasn't quite his direct word, but he said, we shouldn't have to for the money spent, but you know, you can live with that. What you can't accept is the effort, and the effort in that last half an hour was disgusting, he said, and it was. They just surrendered from half-time onwards, and for me, that is why it was worse than the Liverpool game. It's a derby, and they just gave up. They gave up at 2-1, never mind 3-1, and it summed up, you know, the the most basic, the last words out of the changing room every time from Premier League to National League level and below is start the half well, do the basics right, get your first passes right. In the first two minutes of that second half yesterday, McTominay played Maguire and Wambasaka into trouble. Tellez had a chance to put Sancho in down the left and passed it straight to Walker. Wambasaka gave it to Bernardo in the six-yard box. Wambasaka was bullied by Foden. All that happened within two or three minutes. It was just not doing the basics right. It doesn't get any more basic. And that just set the tone for the second half. And it was, uh, you know, watching it, it was embarrassing, that second half. It wasn't. It was as embarrassing a 45 minutes as the United side will ever produce for me because they just completely surrendered in a derby. And that, you know, that possession start of chasing the game, all right, a 3-1, it's probably gone, but there's 15 minutes left. You're two goals behind. You know, it's happened before. To have 8% possession in the last 15 minutes, it's just... It's laughable. It's so bad. It's absolutely laughable. And, you know, there, there were some positives for the second half. I, I'm not sure they were City's equals, but they played pretty well. But it was all forgotten in that second half because the second half was horrific. Yeah. And like you said, the, the fact that we were saying, oh, United are only losing 2 1 at half time, that shows how much they fall into Derby match. That should not be used as a positive whatsoever. Samuel, in terms of the actual team then in the lineup, I mean, Ranić did sort of have his hands tied considering who was available and, you know, who was absent for the match. Um, for you, was that as good a team as United could have really played for the game? Or do you think that there's some players who were unfortunate to miss out? Or what did you make of that, that selection? Well, Ty and I were messaging the night before when we, we did the story that obviously Ronaldo, Varane, Cavani and, and Shaw weren't going to be in the squad. And I think in the end, we, we guessed 10 out of the 11 starters. I think we both had Rashford down ahead of ahead of Alanga, presuming that Pogba was maybe going to play on the, on the wing. Uh, I, what Ramnick did was was quite innovative and they, they were pretty flexible up top. And I, I suppose even though United had certain players missing and, and quite, a lot of them, quite a lot of them attack-minded, they also had individualistic players who had won derbies before. Pogba had, Fernandez had, uh, Rashford was on the bench and obviously he's, he's set on the derby as well in the past. 
Um, you know, Elanga was always, I think with Elanga, he was either going to be the 12th man who's going to start and in the end they decided to go with the, the strikeless formation and Elanga was was bright at times, but also that, that naivety that you, you're always bound to get from a 19-year-old was, was also apparent. I just thought that although Rashford has had a really poor season, poor 18 months almost, if you like, that just putting him up front against Stones and... Um, uh, Laporte was kind of like throwing, laying down the gauntlet to him to say, you know, okay, you, you know, show us what you can do, really. But it didn't work out that way, and they went for something innovative. It, it worked to an extent, but they were still they were still trailing at half time, and then off, after the after the interval tactics formations, they were, they were just completely irrelevant because City just started playing close to their optimum, and when they do play at their optimum. There are very few teams that can handle them, but United were made to look like relegation fodder in that second half. So I don't think that there were many aspects of the team that were debatable. I mean, the the talk after the team was confirmed was just about the absences mainly. And it was a little bit peculiar in a way that Sky put a lot of the focus on Ronaldo, whose injury you can fully well believe. There was some social media posts out there on I think Saturday night that suggested that he'd just been dropped altogether from the squad, which you just took with a shovel of salt. I mean, I don't think they'd have ever dropped him completely and put Hannibal Mejbury in the squad. And I think his injury is believable. When I saw the quotes on Friday where, where, when you two had been at Carrington, that Cavani was available, uh, I, I said immediately to, to, to my dad, he won't be in the squad on Sunday. And I said it on the podcast as well on Friday that it wouldn't surprise me if he's not in the squad. Uh, he's just, I mean, he's a joke. Uh, they, they should just pay up his contract, let him go back to Uruguay. He doesn't want to be there. He's missed 23 ma- matches out of 38 this season. Uh, it's it's happening as, as it did at this stage last season. He, he was crying off hurt. He was barely playing. He didn't play at all in the second half of February. I think he played... Um, was it one game out of out of eight in, in the second half of February and, and the rest of March? And you can sure as hell, um, you can be certain that if Uruguay have got games this month, I've not checked if they have, that he will be in Uruguay and he'll be magically fit for that. And, you know, that's that's just part of the, you know, the, the, as that banner said at Villa Park, how it's broken and rotten from top to bottom. It goes back to that because when you go into a season with two strikers who at the moment have got a combined age of 72 and they're your two specialist strikers, you, that's that's extremely risky. And the kind of injury that Ronaldo has got at the moment with, I think it's a hip flexor, that doesn't bode well for a 37-year-old striker. Um, I mean, he's, he's looked immobile uh, for the last 10 games during this lean spell he's had. And those two games he missed last month against Aston Villa were, were with the same injury, so that that is you know that's immense concern. But as suspected before the derby, and, and as I said, I always felt Varane's absence was going to be a lot more significant than Ronaldo's, and show it proved it's it's just not a coincidence that these heavy defeats they've suffered this season to Leicester, Watford, Liverpool, City, where what in those games they've they've conceded seventeen goals in just those four games alone. He's not been. He's not played in any of them whatsoever, and, and his fitness is is obviously going to be a concern because he's not played anywhere near enough this season for when when they brought him in as as the only you know the, the main world class centre back and on his day probably is the only well not probably he is the only world class centre back they've got but he doesn't play often enough. 
Samuel, be delighted to know that Uruguay are in action. Two crucial World Cup qualifiers at the end of the month. There we go. Peru and Chile. Brutal. So it'll be interesting to see if Cavani's involved. So, so Cavani, we can we might as well do the team news line now that Cavani is definitely out of the Leicester game at the start of April, which is <laughs> the first one back after the internationals. And like you said there though. Varane, you know, he has been this common denominator that when United have played really badly in those sort of standout, horrible defeats this season, he's not been there. But Ty, they were playing against a City team without two of their you know, defenders who played the most this season. And Diaz and Ake, I think, had the most minutes for City, certainly up until the new year. Can United point towards missing players as any sort of excuse at all? I mean, there's argument to say that even if Ronaldo had been fit, he wouldn't have started anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think you can. Um, you know, I think any team that's missing its best players can always point to it and, and raise it as an issue. Like you say, Ronaldo may not have played anyway. And um, Ranjik spoke in the press conference about how they'd been training with this sort of strikerless system, which maybe suggests that he, he wouldn't have played or wouldn't have started. Um, it, I thought it was quite similar to how they set up against Watford last week when Pogba and Fernandez both played pretty high and pretty central as well. So it does feel like something they've been working on. But defensively, they're missing. You know, arguably their two best defenders. Sure, he's better than Tellez, undoubtedly. Um, Varane is their best centre-half, probably their best organiser and communicator in there. So, you know, I think it's legitimate to point to them and say they were missing them. But like you say, you should you should be able to cover without them. It's a concern that United lose Varane and look a shambles at the back. And I think a lot of that is down to, to organisation. I mean, they were a mess defensively yesterday and not just defensively. I thought that they started the game pretty well and pressed aggressively. but it became so easy for City's midfielders just to get the wrong side of McTominay and Fred. United played quite aggressive starting positions. In the first goal, Bernardo just gets 10 yards the wrong side of McTominay, just inside City's half. And from then on, you've got you've got problems. But defence is clearly an issue. The defenders seemingly aren't good enough. Maguire's, you know, a complete mystery. I felt a little bit sorry for him yesterday because I didn't think he was United's worst defender by any stretch. In fact, That's arguably... Played, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's damning with faint praise, isn't it? And I'm not suggesting he played well. I thought they were all no. all rubbish at the back four. He's the least worst. I least thought he was bad, the least worst. He? Yeah, I thought so. Um, I mean, I would pin the blame on Lindelof for both of those first two goals. The first goal, Maguire's in a good position, I think. He's arguably the only defender in there who is in a good position. You know, it's not his job to be picking up De Bruyne. De Bruyne was playing central midfield. He's in a good position on the front post to try and block the shot. Lindelof goes and plays right back when McTominay and Wambasaka are already out there. It's just unnecessary. And then he, he, you know, he contributes to all three of them being taken out of the game. And then the second goal, United lose the ball for the second goal. But when it gets to Foden, they're actually all in good positions. They're, you know, they're, they're flat as a back four. Lindelof right in front of Foden. His only pass is on to Mares and Tellez is marking him. There's no real danger there until Lindelof tries to head a ball that's never on to head and gets taken out of the game. And from then on, City were just queuing up to, to have shots. Maguire should probably just hack it behind when he gets the chance. But, you know, it comes at him pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I just didn't think... I, I think there's become a narrative around Maguire, not helped by his price tag, that he's basically a comical figure that sums up everything that's wrong with United. And he's clearly not mm. worth £80 million. He's barely worth £40 million on, on recent evidence. But I didn't think he was that bad yesterday. And he was getting... I noticed, I mean, only glancing at Twitter when you're at a game, but I noticed he was getting hammered for that foul on De Bruyne in the second half in booking. And it looked pretty clumsy. But if Fernandinho does that, everyone's saying, wow, that's so clever. What a tactical foul. You know, United, Alanga had given the ball away really poorly. Mm. And City had a two-on-two, three-on-three break. 
Maguire's either got to take the ball or take the man, and you're never going to get a red card for that. So as clumsy as he made it look, it's a sensible, clever decision from a centre-half. Without him doing that, City, he's out of the game and City have a three-on-two break. He did it. City have a free kick in their own half that goes back to the centre-backs. I mean, which position would you rather be in? He did the right thing. He made it look clumsy. And that's, I mean, that's an element of his game that adds up to this sort of narrative around him. He does, he does manage to make most things. He does look pretty clumsy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Fernandinho would have committed that foul with a lot more grace um, in terms of a tactical foul. Maguire just sort of bundled into him. But it was the right thing to do, as, as ungainly as he made it look. And it was beneficial to United that he stopped the counter-attack. And it wasn't his fault that United were being caught on a counter-attack. They'd given the ball away further up. So, I mean, he didn't play well, but I didn't give United's worst defender. But the defence is clearly an issue because they do look all at sea without Varane. And he's, he, you know, he's clearly an organiser. And without him, they're, they're lacking an organiser. And that Maguire-Lindelof partnership is just, you know, it's been exposed far too often over the last two or two seasons as, as not being good enough. Yeah, like you said there as well, Ty, that it's just the easy hit now. He's the easy scapegoat, Maguire. Whenever yeah. United can see the goal, just go on Twitter straight away, say that you that it was his fault and you'll get 100 retweets or whatever. You know, if you want easy interactions, you, you can do that, but that's not always the point. And I think every other player has to be held accountable as well. You can't, I mean, no one can get away from that match, you know, come out of it with a, no. with a good rapport, really. Uh, Samuel, I mean, if things can get much worse for United, there's also going to be the outcry from the match as well. And, you know, you've done a line today as well saying you know, Marcus Rashford is someone who's considering his future at the club. And it sort of comes into the wider picture as well about players on the fringes who feel they're being overlooked and aren't getting a fair enough chance when there's other players who seem to be keeping their positions in the squad regardless of their form or performance. What is the mood like in the United dressing room? I mean, when you're not losing matches, it maybe gets put under the carpet a little bit. But as soon as United do lose a game, these reports do seem to come out all the time. There seems to be a conscious effort from some of the players when they're doing um, media chats with with the rights holders, and they'll get asked about moving the dressing room, and they'll say, "Oh, it's positive, it's really good," um, and that just kind of, if anything, it confirms that it's it's the opposite, or it's certainly nearer the opposite than than what they're saying. Um, that there is there's so much resentment in there um, regarding certain selections of certain players, um, as as I wrote in in, in the other. In the other story today, uh, it's, it's pretty common knowledge, really, that Eric Bailly resents Harry Maguire's status. Um, I suppose that he's been piqued by the fact that he's now fifth-choice centre-back uh, because that's the only reason he was on the bench against City. Uh, the, the previous game against Watford, he wasn't even on the bench. Phil Jones was when Varane was fit for that one. And beyond him, Diogo Dallo is a bit baffled why He's been taken out of the team all of a sudden. He started eight games on the spin. Then he's not not been anywhere to be. He's not been anywhere to be seen in the last four games. He's not even been used as a substitute. And Wan Bissaka was the worst player on the pitch yesterday. Um, that 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 signing just becomes more and more embarrassing with with every day. He he had a pretty good season, I think, but since then he's just been he's just been a mess and. I mean, w- walking out of the stadium yesterday, we were talking about his, his situation or, or non-situation at international level where he had the one very brief England call-up and he pulled out the squad. He he will probably become the most expensive England um, England player never to play for England. And the amount of right-backs that will probably get ahead of him in future squads, depending on injuries still, is, is nearing double figures. There are a couple at Southampton that would probably get in the squad ahead of him. Tarek Lamptey would probably get in the squad ahead of him. And that's without naming the, the four main ones that 
are obviously very, very well established in Southgate's plans. Um, even you know, minor figures like Dean Henderson, he feels though he's been unfairly treated, not playing in the Premier League all, all season. Uh, but there are some players you, you can't, I can't name because of you know just the confidentiality of source and everything. But I mean, there's there's one player who's actually, I mean, he's pretty vicious about some of these competitors and another teammate's been dubbed uh, a teacher's pet uh, because of how regularly he plays under Rangnick. Um, you know, and, and sometimes during games, you you do see flashes of of this, and I, I suppose it, it was not related to selections yesterday. But going back to Juan Bissaka, there was a point when United were clearly beaten against City. I think it was still three one. But Fred, who's not exactly a firebrand, he just let rip at Juan Bissaka. He was just shouting at him. I couldn't couldn't make out what he was saying, and then just clapping his hands repeatedly. It was almost as if he just wanted more from him, more aggression. But as you know, Rich, from, from that tour in, in Perth, Singapore. The first tour. Yeah, the, the China tour in 2019. Just just his personality was the absolute antithesis of what United wanted um, and what they briefed that summer about the whole recruitment reboot, about the personality of the players that they wanted to sign. Um, Wambasaka just didn't tick any of the boxes. And really, he's one of those players that if they can cut loose in the summer they really need to they they looked to replace him last year with Trippier it didn't happen um you still half wonder whether they should have gone for Trippier in, in January but that that pretty much went dead as soon as, as Solskjaer was was sacked in November but it's it's not a happy camp it was never going to be I don't think um I think if if the only way they they could have lifted the mood is if they'd gone on a good run in those first few months under Rangnick when the fixture list was pretty kind, but they've been so inconsistent up until this point. And as soon as they meet a first serious domestic side, they've just been taken to the cleaners. And as, as Ty said yesterday, they, they were fortunate to to beat Atletico Madrid, who were the Spanish champions. Uh, they might still get through in that one. Obviously, the the, the second leg is is next week. But there are so many players there that just want out, and you know, with, with Rashford's situation, it's it's interesting that a lot of a lot of supporters, the mood. I mean, I got a message off a season ticket holder forty years today who said he was incandescent with rage, not not of the fact that he might want out, but that it would come out at this time given his form. I think there's a stat that he's not scored as a Premier League starter since May of last year. Um, it might have been against Liverpool. I think it would have been that goal. But I think a lot of United fans with the opinion that if, if Rashford wants to go, just let him go. And I, I think it probably is time for him to go as well. I think a, a change of scenery might benefit him, given that this slump in form has been so prolonged. But given the exodus of attack-minded players that are leaving on freeze and the other players who could leave, who are still under contract, he's probably not high up United's list of players that they've looked at get rid of in the summer but really the way it's going they, they do need a proper clear out um, maybe a clear out similar to, to Van Gaal's first summer where obviously they, they had a dreadful season under Moyes and change was was you know pretty drastic but I think that's what they need it, it might not work but as I said they seem to come full circle with it so often that that would just be another element of it Sounds like they need a cultural reset to me what could go wrong with that? Uh, Ty, in terms of these players on the periphery then, you can understand Rashford particularly why he'd be upset when United don't have a striker and he still can't start a game. But 
do you think there are any players, just your personal opinion now, who are being overlooked, who do deserve a chance? Because, again, we said it was a downfall of Solskjaer that he had this core of players who were undroppable. Didn't matter how, how they played, what happened on the pitch, they'd be starting every single game. Do you feel that, once again, United have fallen into this trap where it doesn't matter how well you play, some players are just going to start every single game? Do you think there are any players on the fringes right now who do deserve more of a chance and more of an opportunity? Mm, not not really of this current squad. I mean, and mm. I'm mystified why Dallow's not starting ahead of Wambasaka at the moment. Um, but beyond that, after January, I think the team pretty much picks itself. I mean, you can go back to January and, I mean, it's a recurring theme, but how Donny van der Beek has never had a look in remains a complete mystery when he's done a pretty reasonable job for Everton. Why did they give Wamata a one-year contract and why is he not getting a kick? under Ranić, I mean, what is the point in him being there? What was the point in him staying? Completely mystifying decision. But if the player's available now, uh, you know, I can't think of any off the top of my head that really should be playing. Dean Anderson's been incredibly unfortunate, but I'm not sure you can make the case that he should be playing ahead of De Gea this season, given De Gea's probably going to win player of the year. Um, you know, Henderson was incredibly unfortunate with, with getting COVID last summer and, mm. and struggling with it and losing his chance because of that, really. Um, he's been a victim of circumstance and, like I say, hugely unfortunate. But I'm not sure you can argue now that him coming in, in goal would really improve United. And it's obviously not the biggest issue. If anything, it's the the, the smallest issue in that team. Um, beyond that, I can't, you know, I can't think of any. Matic, maybe, but I'm not sure he'd improve it can't, that much. Can't even play that two games a week, can he, though? So No, exactly. You know, there's no one there. Rashford, you know, Rashford was unlucky not to start yesterday, I thought. Um, you know, Alanga's done... Alanga's impact has probably been better off the bench than starting. And I thought he had a pretty poor game yesterday. Um, mm. So I thought Rashford was a little bit unlucky not to start. But it's not like he's been, you know, making an inarguable case that he deserves to be in the starting yeah. lineup, have he? has he? Um, so, you know, it's hard for him to go and knock on Ranić's door and say, why am I not starting when he's not been playing very well? Um, I mean, I would have started him, but... You can't, you know, you can't point to a body of work he's done recently and say it's a travesty he's not in the team because it's not. So no, I can't, I can't really think of anyone that deserves to be starting. I mean, the eleven that are starting don't really deserve to be starting. So, <laughs> you know, it's um, it's difficult to to know where to go with it really. But having got rid of the players they did in January, I think the team pretty much picks itself now. The, like I say, matter, matter, you know. I'm not sure Matter really suits the Premier League anymore, which is why I don't know why he got a contract last year. But it's reached the point where maybe you just give him a try, give him a game. Lingard, another one, just, you know, is it worth starting him? Just trying something different. But I don't think any of them have made cases, particularly strong cases, that they deserve to be starting games. No, exactly. United sort of stuck with what they've got until the end of the season, at least. Samuel, I guess yesterday was another reminder as well that even if United get their permanent appointment of a new manager right this summer, it still feels like it's going to be a few years before they are challenging at all. Um, do you think that it is, again, going to be another two, three-year sort of plan for United are proper title contenders again? I know they tried to this season, but they look so far off it. It could it could be even longer than that. It wouldn't surprise you if it's longer than that. That squad at the start of the season, a lot of people, including myself, said it was probably the best squad that they'd had since since Ferguson's last great side in in two thousand and nine. 
Um, I'd still stand by that when I said it at the time, but this season they've just been found out with crowds back in, um, more you know, adrenaline fueling through the body, extra pressure, uh, expectations being raised. Last season was a false finish, but if you finish second, you're just obliged to to you know look. Where, where's the only way to go from there? It has to be has to be first, or at the very least, a title challenge. And I just think so many of these players have, have been found out by that. And they've not had a title challenge since Ferguson's last season. So therefore, I think you just have to... They've got to get into this pattern that with certain players, if they're not cut out for it after two years at the level that they need to be, they've just got to get rid of them. Even if it means reducing the contract length, because a lot of players have come in on Mm. minimum five-year contracts. I think in Maguire's case, it might even have been a minimum six-year contract. Um, you, you've got to scale back on that. A little bit like what, what they did with Eric Bailly last year. He's, he's probably the only 20-something at United in recent years who've got a minimum three-year contract because, of course, that reflected his poor appearance record. I think he's still only played 113 times. That's 1-1-3 for United in, in almost six seasons. And I think he'd be hard-pressed to play seven more times this season. So by the end of his sixth, sixth season, he will probably be averaging fewer than 20 appearances per season, which is, is just an abysmal hit, hit rate. You can't even really call it a hit rate. But they gave him a new contract last year. And looking at that team yesterday, I just thought going into next season, if, if they want to be a remotely competitive team, there are only three players in that side that starts at City that you would want starting for United next season as regular starters. Uh, that For me, it would just be De Gea, Sancho and, and Fernandez. And you could even say there are caveats against all three of those players to, to differing degrees. Sancho's been a, a big positive over the last six weeks and United must hope that he will continue on that, on that upward trajectory uh, for, for the forthcoming years as well. Fernandez, I wouldn't say, has had a good season, but... He has been good for United. You would hope he would come good again. But just so much needs to happen before the start of next season. And the start of next season is something like 150 days away from starting. They're not going to get everything they need in time for that. Um, they're, they're pulling the summer in terms of the transfer market. Might be similarly low to 2019, where they have to sign players from Swansea, mid-table to bottom half Leicester and Crystal Palace just to strengthen. And even then it was it was insufficient. They, they wanted two more players and they didn't get them. I just think that they can change as much as they like with the squad, but they need proper change off the pitch now. It's, it's been less than a year since that structure was finalised. And already you, you're tempted to say, just, just dismantle it. Um, Fletcher and Murta, there seems to be an attempt to justify their roles far too constantly. Uh, the chief executive, everybody, you know, he, he's known for all the wrong reasons, really. Nobody takes him particularly seriously as a chief executive of Manchester United, even though he's in a month into the role. Everybody knew he was going to assume that role from from Woodward. And we've, we've said all this before, so we, it feels like we're going around in circles just repeating the same old thing because I, I just I struggle to see how, how things are going to change. They, they just need to get lucky like they did with Busby, like they did with Ferguson um, in 86 as well. But I still don't, you know, I, I still can't really fathom who that manager is out there. Well, I can, but they're at, they're at Liverpool and they're at Manchester City and they're not going to get either of them. 
and and that was on them as well. There there were opportunities there if they were proactive about it, but but they weren't. I mean, it, it feels like a trick of the mind that Jurgen Klopp was a free agent for a good four or five months, and you know, Liverpool even Liverpool didn't act immediately, and it seemed like they could have during that summer. So I, I just think United. I've said it before. I think United are pretty screwed until Klopp and Guardiola go. I think even if they get Guardi, um, sorry, Pochettino in the summer. I don't necessarily have complete confidence that he would be able to to take on Klopp and Guardiola and, and get the better of them. Um, you know, that's that's just the situation they're in. That's the consequence of the decisions they've made. If it changes for the better, then that they'll have got a little bit lucky, but there'll have been some decent judgment along the way. But as as that banner at Villa Park said, uh, you know, it, it just that that just sticks in the mind really, and and nobody seems to be changing anything about it if they wanted to change it they would have they, they would not have got ed woodward's rugby enthusiast um fellow rugby enthusiast from the university of bristol to to replace him it's it was just a you know simple changing of the guard and it wasn't much change there um you know and i don't think we're premature in making that judgment either because richard arnold's been there so long and he's the guy who said that Oleg gunnarsalski brought phenomenal success a year ago so I, I, I'm not making any apologies for not taking him seriously because he's, you know, he's, he's made a habit of giving us this this ammunition not to take him seriously. No, exactly. And especially from your point of view, it should be up to him to prove you wrong rather than you have to give any yeah. audience anyway. And Ty, I know it's a tedious question, but I love asking it. United <laughs> after the weekend are finally out of the top four. Arsenal got another a good win. You know, I mean, what for the way? We know that's not an easy place to go, is it? Particularly by United standards. Um top four then do you still think United can can get it no no chance no chance I think it's done I mean look at their running compared to Arsenal's they're a point behind Arsenal have got three games in hand I mean Arsenal probably won't win those three games in hand or all of them even if they pick up one win I mean I think the games in hand are tricky Liverpool Chelsea and Tottenham maybe Um, but beyond that their fixtures are a lot more routine than United's and just Look at how United have played under Ranić against the two mm. good teams they've faced abysmally in both games. Look how they play against the bad teams they faced. Well, exactly. So I, they've got ten games left. They've still got to play Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal. I just don't see a scenario where they pick up enough points to finish fourth. And I mean that game. If Tottenham win tonight, that game on Saturday is absolutely massive. And I have no faith whatsoever that United will win it. And if they don't, it's end of the road. I don't think there's any way they get top four if they. Don't beat Tottenham on on Saturday. I mean, there's always the the glimmer of hope that this is Arsenal and Arsenal managed to bottle everything. But, you know, the, the form they are in since the start of the season is very good. And while they're losing to good teams, they're beating everyone else. United are not beating everyone else. You know, the, the, there was a, a lot of talk during the rounds before this derby that, you know, oh, Rennick's getting a, getting a rum deal. They've only lost one in 17 under him, if you don't include mm-hmm. Middlesbrough. But, I mean, that was just sugarcoating a stat to make it look good. They have dropped, they've won seven of 13 Premier League games until yesterday, but they dropped points against Burnley, Newcastle, Southampton, Watford. You know, they've dropped points against teams they should be beating. And his record is average at best, really. Mm. And like I said, they've played two, they've played two teams that you would say they should you know, play two teams that are that are better than them, and the the gap has been massive in in both. Certainly in the first half in in Madrid, 
and they were fortunate to get a draw in Madrid. So, with the run of fixtures remaining, and no, I don't see them. I don't see them getting top four. No, like you said as well, that tie that it is so easy for maybe a, a pro club narrative. You can say, well, you only lost one game. If they the XG, you know, United were creating chances. That's why they weren't winning these games. If someone was, was scoring, they would have got more and more. And, you know, there's got to be that mitigation. You can see it from from both sides, and you do have, maybe have to understand that. But like you said, I think that this weekend has really sort of opened a few people's eyes. And Samuel, I guess final question for you then is. Any news on the uh, managerial search? I mean, United still want something in place before the end of the season, but again, there's there's so much mitigation, particularly because it probably relies on PSG's own, own Champions League hopes, how far they might get, and the fact they don't really need to get rid of Pochettino this summer. It's 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 quiet really. There's if if there's anything to report, I, I will report it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if something came out during the March international break purely because it's, it's a dead time as far as club news is concerned. The Champions League round of 16 matches will have been played. PSG and Ajax may, may not be in the Champions League anymore as well, which, which you know, could have an impact. But, you know, as I think the last, the last line we, we all did was, was on United players having a, a preference for, for Pochettino. And again, I, I'd still be... A, Amazed at this stage, if if the next United manager isn't is, is someone other than Pochettino or, or Ten Hag, um, you know, there's a lot of admiration for Ten Hag that I completely understand. But assembling two very good Ajax teams um, three or four years apart is a completely different. I hesitate to use the word, but it, it is. I suppose it's you know, it does make it's, it's suitable. But it's a completely different project to assembling a competitive Manchester United side. I think a lot of people, a lot of internet fans lose sight of that. Um, you, you, you can't compare the, the expectations and the scrutiny between Ajax and United. Ajax play uh, in, in a league that they're expected to win. There's, there's, I suppose there's an element of pressure there, but... It's just that they're just worlds apart. Ajax are a great club, big club, but I think a lot of coaches, and certainly since Ferguson left as well, Moyes being the first one, that they're taken aback by the size of United. A lot of people are when they go there. They are they're the most scrutinised football club in the world. And you know, in Moyes' case, he aged 10 years in 10 months. And I think... For Ten Hag's sake, it, it might be it, it might be a lot more logical for him just to keep his power dry for a year and then possibly go to, to Manchester City. I think he'd be much more suitable for Manchester City where everyone knows their roles already. You are you are inheriting a great group of players, world-class players. Um it's there's not much upheaval needed there. At United, they need someone who ticks every box and I'm not necessarily sure Ten Hag would tick the box of managing egos um, building a team from almost from scratch really because you look at some of the players there that aren't good enough and the outgoing should be in double figures in the summer whether it will or won't remains to be seen um, but I, I'd still err on the side personally I'd still err of, of Pochettino and Ten Hag I'd still err on the side of Pochettino because he has he has the Premier League experience, and I think he's quite a tough bloke as well, um, who, who's got the experience of managing egos at Tottenham and more so at PSG. 
And United need someone who's got that avuncular side to them, which you know, Luke Shaw has spoken about regarding Pochettino in the past, but also someone who's going to put players in their place and punch his amigos and, and, and reinforce the fact that the manager should be the one that has the authority in the dressing room, not the players. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a huge decision to make. And again, this weekend proved that it's not just a case of catching up with City and Liverpool. It's trying to overtake them, which you'd need to do over the course of a season and have that consistency. It's a massive, massive decision. A massive few months ahead, as Samuel said there as well. We'll bring you all the latest on that on the Manchester Evening News. So that just leaves me with time to say thank you to Tyrone and Samuel for joining us today. Thank you, Rich. Cheers, Rich. And thank you very much again to you for listening, wherever you might be in the world. As always, please leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time on the Manchester is Red podcast.